The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hello everyone, Macca19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Back on the podcast again is the lovely Porsche. How are you? Oh, Macca, I think I must have entered into some kind of unholy pact on Thursday night when I started feeling crook because I was unable to go to the game this weekend. Oh, no. And I I feel like maybe Port Adelaide stole a bit of my soul and that was the price for this win because there has to have been a price paid for the win that was this unbelievable uh, and unexpected. Absolutely astounding. Absolutely astounding. Has there been a more satisfying win in the last few years? In the last few years, if we go back to 2014 and the yes, but if we're sort of 2015, 2016, I don't know that there has been. The Hawthorne win last year was pretty good. That was pretty good, yeah. Mm. Very true. Mm. Well, let's get straight into it because we've got a lot of questions again this evening. So we'll get straight into it and do our sweet mm. and sour. One thing we found sweet, one thing we found uh, sour about Port Adelaide this week. Uh, what was your sweet? Jackson Trangove, um, just let, let's just get straight into it. Jackson Trangove uh, had basically the match-turning performance that I think if you took, if you're going to take any one contest out of the game or make it a neutral result or whatever else, like that was the one that won us this game in so many ways. Turning what looked to be before the game an absolute dominance by Goldstein over an, a, a, a very patchwork ruck unit and going to a midfield that was top of the ladder, you know, a few rounds ago. Mm. Um, it looked an impossible task, and then he's come out and he's not only neutralised Goldstein, he's smashed him. Uh, yeah. Jackson Trangove, absolutely star performance. If you could give more than three Brownlow votes for a game, this would be the game you'd do it. Um, oh, for brilliant, sure. brilliant result. What's the bet he gets? None, though. Uh, look, because he's playing in midfield now, he probably will get them. Um, I think there's a fair chance. It's possible. It's possible. Mm. I don't know. I reckon they'll overlook him. But yeah, absolutely. The uh, the MVP performance. I thought. Um, I thought uh, a couple of players might have been better, but uh, JT was definitely the MVP. And you know, seven clearances, eleven contested possessions, a mm. couple of inside fifty, six tackles, fifteen hitouts, um, and just the way that he was able to compete against Goldstein and completely nullify Goldie's influence. And, and you know, this is we're talking about the best ruckman in the league. Todd Goldstein yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. A, a ruckman that has absolutely torn the living crap out of undersized players or, or young ruckmen in the past, mm. even up to this year even. Um, and he just got the better of him. It, it was almost like uh, Goldie was uh, just came in assuming that he would get the win, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't know if it is an attitude thing. I, I guess it's probably not. I would say a fair part of it. And it's probably part of Trengo's success is the fact that you don't train against Trengo's every week, do you? Like, not no. a lot of not a lot of teams have Trengo's to practice their ruck work against, and when yep. they do in a training setting, that intensity is missing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he just didn't know how to win that contest. Well, when looking back at it in hindsight, you think, well, you know, Trengo is that sort of top, that leaping ruckman. Um, and Goldie's not really a jumper. He's, he's yeah, kind of like yeah. Sandy in that regards, where he just sort of stands still, and his his bulk and his size sort of wins him a lot of hitouts and and uh, that sort of influence. But uh, you know, Trengove had the jump to be able to get over the top of him and get his hands on the bowl. And you know, it was almost like the uh, that Frio game um, in two thousand fourteen at home, 
where he was able to have that sort of influence against Sandy Lanza in the last quarter, and uh, except he did it for the whole game, which was mm, great. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess if you're looking at describing that player type, I mean, that's really a successor to the Matthew Primer school of ruck work, really, isn't it? That yeah. not jumping and just using your strength and... I don't know, maybe we've got a bit of IP there still. Who knows? That's it. Look, my suite was just that first quarter. I mean, that was just the most <laughs> thrilling quarter of footy we've played since that Hawthorne game at Adelaide Oval last year. And, you know, just to completely dismantle their midfield and, and render it useless and win all the contested ball, all the clearances, and, and just be so clinical in, in moving the ball from, uh, from the back line into the forward line was something that we haven't really seen all year. And, Definitely against the top eight side as well, and yeah, not only that, we had some dodgy decisions go our way. We had the uh, you know the, the bounce of the ball go our way. It was just one of those sort of baffling quarters. And at quarter time, when we kept them goalless, I was just sitting there absolutely gobsmacked. Could not believe what I was seeing. Yeah, look, and the most amazing part for me is that it was sort of kick started from that free kick against Ferrito, which I know that's been controversial, but. If you look at it, there's no aim he had for that hand pass other than to concede a point. And he had both and he had both hands free and he was looking directly where he was hand passing and the hand pass went above the tallest Ruckman's reach. Yeah. Um Oh no so, doubt. No yeah. doubt it was deliberate and that was his goal was to get it over the line, but yeah. To have the balls to pay that. Well, I reckon since they brought that role in, I reckon I've seen maybe three of those mm-hmm. get paid. And yeah. sort of two in the last two years and I don't know. It, it was just one out of the box and one that, even though they're absolutely deliberate, you just know that they're never going to get paid. But yeah, it actually yeah. got paid. It was just like, oh my goodness, what's going on? It's one of those ones where if it wasn't paid, then you would never expect it to be paid again. But it was yeah. paid, so yeah. who knows now? <laughs> That's it. Uh, what was your sour? Um, I guess my sour is probably just Jake, oh, Jake Need and Charlie Dixon. Um, and I, I'm not going to say that it's a bad thing for them, but they both just really weren't able to get on the board all that well. Yeah. Uh, and I, I imagine a huge part of that is just the fact that they have to, as we originally planned at the start of the year, we were saying, or I was saying anyway, that um, we should expect the forward line not to click immediately with having two genuine key forward targets. Yeah. Um, we've delayed that until this okay. stage of the year. Yeah. Uh, and so now Charlie Dixon has to learn what to do when he's not the only key forward target. And I suppose Jake Need needs to learn what his role is in his forward line. It has probably a little bit less space than it previously did. So, yeah, um, yeah that's probably the only sour I could find. Yeah, I'm going to leave that one alone for now because uh, we've got a couple of... Well, we've got one good question about Dixon coming up. Um, okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to vent my spleen then. So. Ooh. Uh, my sour this week was, where has that been all year? Yeah. Like, why, why does it take, like last year, until our finals chances are pr- pretty much all but mathematically over before we pull the finger out and, and perform like that against a decent team? And, you know, it's really been disappointing that we could play with such uh, abandon on the weekend, but uh, couldn't do similar at other stages this year. And, you know, it did almost look like the shackles were off and we just went out and played footy. Yeah, I, I look, I agree. And the fact that we are so far behind eighth place, even after that win, is just, ugh. Um, it's really disappointing. And I guess it's not like we can't pretend we haven't seen it before. We've been seeing it every year we haven't made the finals, basically. Yeah. That, you know, there's players that we were saying, oh, they haven't done enough. They suddenly start doing enough and then they hang around another year. Yeah. Um, and then we have a repeat. 
Um, so I really am hoping that we're at the stage that Ken and the list management team are familiar enough with this list to realise who really is the, ah, oh, I better do something type players and piss them off this time because we've got to get rid of them at last. Yeah, yeah. Time to separate the uh, the wheat from the chaff. Yes, the west from the hoff. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Right, on to our questions. Um, Sog35 has asked the question, um, haven't watched a replay after watching it live, so what happened in that third quarter? I'll let you answer that one, Macca. I can't describe it. <laughs> For me, it reminded me of, uh, of early last year in those matches against um, uh, the, the Crows and Hawthorne, where they kept peppering the goals and, and missing, and we just couldn't find a way um, to get it far enough out of our defensive 50 mm. um, to be able to get any sort of respite. And, uh, you know, North's midfield got on top. Their attacking mm. zone was really, really good. Um, and it was almost like, uh, you know, just hurry up and kick a goal so we can just reset and go back to the middle already, you know. But, uh, yeah. you know, North weren't able to uh, to make the most of their chances and just ended up being this uh, repetitive thing of uh, the ball being, you know, slammed inside 50. They'd take a really good mark and then they'd miss the shot. Um, for pretty much the whole quarter, but uh, yeah, we just couldn't find a way to uh, to get it beyond the the center square, basically. And every time we did, we seemed to score. I think we kicked uh, something like three goals straight from about six inside fifty. So our efficiency when we got it up there was really really good. We just couldn't get it up there. Yeah, look, I mean, I know that in the previous show we were talking about you know what the strongest parts of the field and the weakest parts of the field were for North Melbourne, I suppose, where we had the comparative edge and really. Uh, I think that was kind of demonstrated to some extent in that third quarter in that our edge was the fact that our forward line, I feel, and I think it's kind of justified to feel that now, is better than their defence. And so that sort of explains why we were getting it to a good spot when we were actually getting it to our forward line. But um, just their midfield, uh, they've, got good, they've got good physical midfielders. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, they've got great forward options. You know, Ben Brown is, again, I think he's one of these guys who's going to be a pain in our ass for until he retires. Mm. Um you know, yeah. uh, Mitch Harvey, yeah. Ben Brown. Yep, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can't get them all. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think that's really all it was. It was just they were obviously given, um, pretty motivated after the half and they were just trying everything they could. But our defence held in really strong. And look, there was a yeah. call a couple of weeks ago on the board, so I didn't quite understand where people were saying, you know, maybe Nathan Bassett is one of the coaches of the year. He could be. Could be because our defence is holding it really well with very untried and and junior players in, in this side right now, especially with Cracker out as well. Yeah. Um, and you got guys like Logan Austin doing as well his triple dummy to clear the ball from defence and ah, uh, ridiculous. And what that clear in, in the last quarter, clear in the last quarter, that busting mark and counter attack, brilliant. Mm. What a move that was by Austin, or should that be Logan <laughs> Judd? We should probably yeah, yeah, right. And to do that to Brent Harvey twice in the same move. <laughs> well, I mean, even at one stage, I remember commenting, how, why is Logan in the centre square so soon after the centre bounce? Like, I think he wants to get in there, you know. I, mm. I don't know if that's a planned thing or if he just is really eager to get involved. But um, if he's got the fitness to do it, then that's fantastic for us. He doesn't get a lot of the ball. He only gets sort of three or four mm. touches a game, it seems. But uh, mm. every time he gets it... Um, you know, he seems to be pretty, uh, pretty calm with the ball, so that's uh, certainly a good thing. And if he can get it a little bit more, um, that would be a good thing as well. And you know, he's definitely got a future. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm pretty. Let's let's make the big call. I'm happy to lock him in as a 
key backmen for the next 10 years. So let's oh, sure. look at the other positions. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not even – there's a lot to do, but his progression is exactly what you want to see and it's yeah. exactly what you will see for a first-class fullback. So, yep, yeah. I'm happy with him. He's got the size, the strength. He's got decent pace, decent skills. Yeah, Fitness, he's an absolute work rate. lock for that fullback uh, spot yep. for, yeah, absolutely. until he retires, basically. Yeah, so. which is a big thing to say for a six-game player, but, mm. yeah, definitely. He shows definitely. all the uh, all the signs. So uh, it's yep, up to him to continue injury. to develop and uh, and reach that potential that we've uh, that we all saw um, when he was drafted. Yeah, and look, and if he does, this comes back to where we have talked in the past about how um, you can trade in for players. But even at this stage in his career, like if he's a ten year player for Port Adelaide, well, that's a lot better than trading a first round pick for a five year player for Port Adelaide because that's one player type we don't have to recruit. Yeah. No so. doubt. Mm. Probably should have asked these questions the other way around, but uh, Portly has asked, uh, only been able to watch our first quarter, but it seemed <laughs> that our forward entries were more systematic and less frenetic. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah, I've, I was going to say similar. I'm not sure they were more systematic. I think it was just a matter of North Zone in the first half across mm. the midfield being really, really poor. and. You know, we, we cut them up and didn't allow them time to push back. And we got a lot of uh, clean inside 50s um, with an open forward line. And that gave us a, a really great advantage. And I would say, though, that um, that our quality of transition from the back line to the forward 50 was as good as I've seen it for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I guess if you're going to talk about Dixon later, we can talk about him later. But that's where I would start talking about Dixon again. So, Fair enough. Uh, Rumours of Winter has asked, uh, why is there no love for Carl Amon? Uh, I don't know, because this game he was really good. You saw him going pretty hard at some contests where he could have got his head knocked off and come out with it. Yep. Um, I was pretty pleased with his game, quite frankly. he's mm. Last week I was really worried because there was one contest where he was the guy that had to go and he just wasn't going and... You really worry about, like, in particular, I suppose this is really a young player thing. You really worry about whether that's a natural instinct to not go or if it's something else. Because if it's a natural instinct, I mean, players rarely get over that. Yeah. Um, so if he's coming out this week and if he has another 10 games or so where he's just coming out and hitting hard and going for the hard ball, then that'll probably be a trait he carries through the rest of his career. But if he sort of reverts... Um, I think he's at a very much one of those points where his career can go two ways. Um, but he's playing well right now, and if he keeps doing this, then he can be a very good player for us. Yeah. Well, he's been really consistent, and I think mm. he deserves more credit than uh, than he's um, than he's got oh, yeah. over the last sort of month or so. He's been a really good player. And, um, you know, we all know that um, he's had some sort of uh, iffy moments in terms of, uh, of hitting the contest hard, but uh, I think he's learning in that regard. Um, and he's doing his job, and uh, you know he's got really nice foot skills. He's uh, he's getting on the scoreboard fairly often, um, and you know for a player that's uh, that's only played what like seventeen games, yep. still only twenty years old. Um, you know, there's a lot to like about Carl a- Carl Amon and where his future might be headed. Yeah, look, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, I did see that Pollock apparently played well for um, Magpies this week, and there's been a few calls to bring him in for Amon. I see on the board. Uh, Why not both? I don't know. Why not both? Well, Let's play both. I, I, I'd still be. I mean, if you really want to go nuts, you bring him in and White, you know, and then yeah. have those half forwards that we so desperately need to yeah. get to the two uh, tall forwards that desperately need to be able to get 
the ball with a bit of space and good delivery. At this um, point in time, I'd be well happy to see Polek and White back in the side and have Amon yeah. take over Needy's spot for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, that's right. I mean, Mitchell's done all right, but I'd drop him for White any day if, if White is vaguely ready to play. Um, yeah. And that's not a slight on Mitchell there. It's just that I value White so highly and he would play a similar role to what Mitchell's trying to play, I think, sometimes. Yeah. A good question by Johns here. Would you rather be bitten by a bee a day for the rest of your life or bitten by a snake once? Uh, is it a venomous snake or not? Oh, mm. Answering a question with a question. That's, uh, I'm not sure that's well, allowed, Portia. Okay, well, look, I'll give a conditional answer then. If it's, a, if it's a non-venomous snake, I'll probably take the snake. But if it's a venomous one, I mean, you build up resistance to bee stings. So yeah. if, you get stung, if you get stung by a bee... You know, the first week it's probably going to hurt, but then after that you're probably fine. And then if you're already building up a resistance to bees, then I, I might even take up beekeeping. <laughs> you know, why not? Mm. That'd Look, be right. You could get a hobby out of it. <laughs> I've never been bitten by a bee. I've almost been bitten by a snake. Um, yeah. I'd probably still go the snake, to be honest. Ah, oh, no, it'd be too scary. And also, like, I mean, a well, snake even, can do even brown damage. snakes, they usually give a warning bite first. They don't go full hardcore with the venom. First guy. Oh, so. I don't. Yeah, but I don't know that we specify that it's going to be a weak bite. I mean, I assume that in either case. I mean, let me put it this way: the bee that stings you is giving up its life, so mm. you have to assume a snake is going to have similar intent. Yeah. So, I reckon it'd be if it's a venomous snake, it's got to be like proper venom in that bite. Yeah. I I just would fancy I'd go the bee every time. That would get really. annoying though. That would get really annoying every day for the rest of yeah, your life. Yeah, I mean, I plan on living for another you know, forty <laughs> odd years. That's like God knows how many bee stings. That's, but if you could schedule, that's like eight thousand bee stings or something. That's far too much. If you could schedule it, it'd be all right. Dylan has said, uh, "In what world do you pick the bee option? If you live for another fifty years, that's nearly twenty thousand bee stings." Yeah, but I mean, also if I like, if again, if I was guaranteed it was the only bee sting, I would get that day as well. Like I said, I mean, I'd be very happy becoming a beekeeper. That'd be quite good fun. Because mm. I mean, they get stung more than once a day. <laughs> I guess in the end, it would be like if you're diabetic and you have to give yourself an in- insulin shot. Yeah, so, right. Well, you probably get used different. to it after a while, but yeah, well, you build up the resistance, and I guess you know it's coming. If it's happening every day, you know it's coming. So. There has been a couple of good comments on Spreaker. Dylan has said, if you live for another 50 years, that's nearly 20,000 bee stings. Like, mm. yeah, that's true. But that snake bite could really mess you up. And Bomber Clifford said, Porsche is a masochist, which I have to admit is kind of true as well. So that, that might be influencing my response. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Rumours of Winter has also asked, are we going to make the eight? And here we go. The chase is on. Can we get there? Um... I think we can get there like we could get there in 1997 while we're doing the 20th season thing mm-hmm. um, in that it's there and a lot of results have got to go our way and yep. we have to win a lot of games and it might even come down to the last round, which we might lose mm. and then miss out on percentage or a game or something like that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's likely and I've not got a lot of hope for it. But if it happens, it'll be great. I hate the fact that, once again, we have to put our faith in other teams stuffing up to be able yeah. to make the finals. You exactly. know, it seems to happen all the time, and, uh, and I'm a little bit sick of it, to be honest. But uh, I think we might... <laughs> I don't know. There's two options I think that will happen. I think 
We either win enough games to get there, but North will win one of those four games at the end of the year, which are really, really hard for them mm. uh, to get them over the line. Or we will do something ridiculous like lose to Brisbane or lose to Gold Coast in the last round. Yeah. Look, I mean, the reality is for me that North can't lose a lot more games. Like, they, they just, they won't, you know. Um, they're not that bad. Uh, yeah. And they have got enough experience. I mean, it's not like they play no good teams the rest of the year, is it? Um, oh, sorry, no bad teams for the rest of the year. I think it's still well, they play Collingwood this week, I think, and they play St Kilda. So they're yeah, two right. games they that... Uh, they should win both of them, for sure. Well, they should win, yeah. And but so the, even if they win those two games, we can still get in. Because we've, we've got a positive percentage at the moment, and that's probably in our favour. So it's really up to us to just keep winning. Yeah, well, I mean, if we keep winning, then obviously there's a really good chance we'll get it. Mm. Um, and it might not be if we, you know, if we, if we win every game from now on, then in theory... We could replace the kangaroos, or we could replace who's above them, GWS, even potentially. Um, unlikely, they're both unlikely, but yeah. it could happen. Um, but I, I don't think there's a lot of chance of that happening. It would require huge consistency in a lot of things to go our way, and it would require that other teams don't realise their precarious position. So, yeah. Dylan has asked, "What's worse, another ten years of poor key position player drafting, or twenty thousand bee stings?" Um, the drafting. has responded 10 years of poor KPP drafting, to be honest. Yeah, clearly. I mean, that, I mean I've mean, i already indicated my willingness to take 20,000 bee stings over the course of the rest of my life. So mm. um, that's definitely the key position drafting. Yes, definitely. I don't want to see any more Mitch Harveys, to be honest. No more. <laughs> Let's get some talent into the club. Yeah, I would really like us to draft not boring, but conventional key position players in that they have the height and the build and the general fitness and the kicking ability to play those roles that they are in and we're not compromising and drafting guys that are just a little bit off. I would like us to really focus on the guys that have got the essential sound, like Ben Brown. We'll talk about Ben Brown again. Um, ben Brown, like, there's not a lot to his game. He's no, really he's pretty he's one-dimensional, a, but it's he's, a good he's, one-dimension. Exactly, and mm. there's been plenty of players like that and that's exactly the sort of player that we kind of need to pick up. Yep. Um, that is just a, a good, reliable option that maybe kicks two goals a match. You know, if we've got that in a K- KPP and he's predictable, he does good leads, knows the system, takes marks without dropping them or spraying the kicks or whatever else, then that's, that's all you want. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, mm. Chris has asked the question, can you see the club retiring Paul Stewart and trading both O'Shea and Cleary? Yep. All three? Yeah, why not? I would... I think we'll probably... Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. Um, two months ago, I would have said Stuart was absolutely locked in for delisting, but I'm not so sure now. I can actually see us keeping him an extra year because he has performed really, really well. Um, O'Shea, I think, is a 50-50 call. Um, Cleary, I would like to keep, but um, but I reckon he'll be traded or delisted for sure. Yeah, Cleary, I would be happy to trade, and I think we'd get a trade for him, particularly if he keeps doing fancy little things like he did in the last quarter this game. Um, O'Shea is pretty... I don't have any real issue with trading O'Shea out, really. Um, and Stuart, look, he's got to move on at some point, and he's doing all right. Um, I think the question I'll, is, if if we're getting rid of those three players, yeah, uh, that's a lot of depth <laughs> that we're losing down back, and it leaves us paper thin, especially considering that Carlisle's, oh. what, 30 years old and probably either going to retire or you know just sort of stumble on for an extra 12 months anyway. Yeah, but that's and a shame. And it kind of leaves us with in. Austin and uh, and Hopsch and Jonas, and that's it. Well, 
but I'm pretty okay with all three of those because they are all game ready. And then if we draft in a key backman, then we're good. If we draft in a key, I think we'll keep at least one of them. We'll be keeping at least one of them. Oh, we might. But if we traded all three, I genuinely think that could actually be good for us. So yeah, yeah. There's not as many key forwards inside these days. You can get away with two genuine ones and then a quasi like Jonas. So sure, but um, you need backup. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. You need some sort of backup because in our situation this year, we where we've had Carlisle injured for the whole year, Hampshire injured for half the year. Jones suspended for half the year. We'd be playing what Darcy Byrne Jones at fullback or something. You know, it's, well, it's, more likely we'd play Trent over halfback at fullback. Yeah, sorry. I guess that's true. Yeah. You know, we, we've got options available. You know, Dougal Howard could potentially go back if we needed him to. Um, you know, if if we're just talking about a matchup for a period of injury, and like I said, we can draft a player in and give them early exposure. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, true. Widering's doing pretty well this year, and admittedly that's number one pick, but there's nothing saying that a teenage um, fullback can't play. So. Sure, but that's also for the bottom side, not for a team that uh, is probably well, on its last chance to win a premiership this, next year. This is, com- this is coming down to our individual expectations of where Port Adelaide at, I think. Mm. Mm. Next question, Sog35 has asked, did playing at the Dome... Um, plus speed of play actually help us nullify Goldstein by limiting the number of stoppages? Yep. Yep, I would agree with that as well. (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, That was easy. (laughs) Long live PAFC has asked, does the big dicks need a rest? He looks tired and frustrated, or is the lack of goals more of a reflection of his inexperience? Uh, I would say tired and frustrated comes with the lack of goals. Yeah. Not sure we can claim he's inexperienced because considering he's, what, like 25, he's been in the system six years, yeah. you know, it's probably, can't really call that, I don't think. And well, I think it's probably an interesting one. Um, and I was going to bring up Dixon regardless, as I said before, but um, mm. has he lived up to expectations so far? Uh, I think he has, personally. Yeah, I mean, I would like it if he was kicking more goals, but I mean, we've seen... Uh, he's fumbled some t- easy marks, mm-hmm. but he's had some really awful deliveries that he's also made okay. Um, I think I would really like... I mean, if we're talking just five, you know, ten minutes ago about how we'd love to have Polek and White and Amon all going forward, and let's see how he goes this week, if we can pull that off. Yeah. Um, you know, he's come into a side where he was expecting to be, I suppose, second banana uh, or, or first banana with at least Schultz um, behind him um, or Butcher potentially. And then he's sort of come up there and been the, the number one target all year and now he's got to adjust again. Um, I, I've got no real issue with how he's playing at this point. I would like him to take more of those marks, but I think he, I don't think he's, I don't think of these, you drop him because he need he's tired, but because I wouldn't, I wouldn't drop him either. But I think he needs a reset where he, the coaches focus on him playing the game that they probably were planning for him to play at the start of the year. Yeah. Look, I don't think he's lived up to expectation, to be honest. Mm. I had low expectations on him for the start of the year. I reckon it would have been probably six games before he was anywhere near okay. And I think he came okay a bit earlier than that. And like I just said, you know, he's dealing now with a... Like this week, if we're going to bring this week as the week to criticise him, well, this week he's actually playing with a whole new setup in the forward line that he has to adjust to. 
Um, and again, a Ford delivery is still a bit iffy and it's hard to read. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with him. He could do better, but I'm not <clears> going to be on the burning effigies or anything like that camp. He's, oh, he's, no. Look, okay. I, I think he's in a bad run of form and... Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's lived up to expectations so far. He's kicked four goals in the last six weeks, taken just 17 mm. marks in the last six weeks. Mm. Uh, the worrying stat for me is he's kicked just eight goals in seven matches against top eight opposition. Um, okay. So even if we do manage to make the finals, you know he's going to have to pull his finger out and have a huge turnaround in form against good opposition for us to travel beyond the first week, I think. And Does he need a rest? Well... Yeah, we had the buy what like three weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> how many rests does a player need? For God's sake, I don't think he needs a rest at all. I think, no, um, I don't think so. I think people are a bit reluctant to say he struggled or he's in bad form. Uh, I don't know why because you know Bokes copped an absolute world of criticism this year, and, and then there's guys like Hartlett, Ebert, Robbie Gray. Obviously, Lobie's copped a lot as well. Polek. But everyone seems reluctant to be critical of Dixon's performance, and and I don't really know why. And everyone goes back to yeah, but you know, look at how he competes, and you know, look at you know, look how strong he is, and you know, he throws players around, and yada yada. And you know, we could be paying someone a third of what he's getting to stand in the forward line and compete. And we got him to be a match winner, we got him to be a game changer, and to this point in the second half of the season, he's been miles off. Um, I certainly not going to be one of those people that disputes that he has not been racking up the goals like you would hope he would. Um, but I'm also, I'm not hugely concerned about his progress at this point, given the circumstances surrounding it. Um, you know, uh, he's come from being in the off season, a troublemaking ne'er-do-well uh, key forward who has been struggling to get what, 16 games together a year, I think, is the stat I saw on the forums. Um, he's played, what, pretty much every game this year. Uh, and he's been a good target. He's played a lot of every game, too. He hasn't had many short games, I don't think. A time on ground would be pretty high. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, he can absolutely do better. And if we're seeing frustration, it's probably because he knows he can do better and he's being told he can do better. Um, yeah, um, I don't mind. Mm. There's a good comment on Spreaker Chat, Ryan Pillar. Um, isn't his form against the top eight sides reflective of the team's performance against top eight sides? Probably. And as I responded, is it chicken or the egg? Well, yeah. You know, is his form reflective of the team's performance against top eight sides or is the team's performance against top eight sides because he's been unable to impact? Okay, well, look, I would suggest that we could probably... I, I don't think this is the right time for this discussion. Um, I think that next week, let's say next week or the week after, I suppose, even, um, when we bring back Polek and or White into the side and have those half-forward delivering type players in the side that we've been missing most of the year, I think then we should be judging him on that. Yeah. If we If we can prove that delivery to him is good, good enough, and he's still not performing, then I reckon that's the time to say, hey, what's going on, Charlie? Um, but I just don't think we've seen that consistently enough to make that call right now. Yeah. I just think for a guy on his pay packet, with what we've paid, the uh, uh, what we paid in terms of a trade, um, he could probably have... His output could be better than what it has been, especially in the last six weeks. But yeah, as I said, hopefully, he's, uh, hopefully he's not injured and... Um, 
uh, he can play uh, this week and see how he goes. Absolutely. Uh, next question, uh, also from Long Live PAFC, is by okay. the Grand Final, what has been our greatest win? Uh, in terms of enjoyability and what it felt like it meant at the time, there's probably two for me. One was when we smashed Essendon, and I think it might have been 2001, when Matty Primus pulled Jason Johnson up by the front of his jumper and we just completely dominated them. Yeah. That, for me, was that was like the the end of Empire for Essendon and the rise of Port Adelaide, and historically that certainly proved to be the case. Yeah. Um, in terms of the quality of game, round 22, 2002, Brisbane Lions was just phenomenal football. Um, I don't reckon I've seen a final that's better than that game yeah. in, in terms of the pressure uh, exerted. Oh, sure. um, but in, in, I guess if you just want to talk about uh, all-round enjoyable smashings, it's got to be that North Melbourne prelim <laughs> in 2007, which is really sad because that week afterwards it was like, ha, ah, this is fantastic, and then everything went to shit. But that was a really nice memory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. I think it's pretty tough to answer this one for me, and I can only go by, obviously, since I've been alive, so I'd go with either the 94 or the 96 grand final. Okay, Um, yeah. Both games... 94 was good. Yeah, look, both games, the opposition were unbackable favourites, and we were just considered no real chance of winning, and I'd probably lean towards 94 more due to Woodville West Mm. Torrens having won the flag Mm. the year before. I think they won two nights. Uh, flags as well uh, in that year and the year before um, and also to go with the start of that particular match where they were yep. six goals up or whatever in the first quarter and um, to be able to come back and win that against a team that we struggled to beat that year and got thrashed a few times including in the second semi uh, was just phenomenal and uh, at AFL level again it's a tough one and like you I, I go back to the Essendon game in 2001 which uh, certainly earmarked our rise as a power in the mm, AFL and mm. And how we beat a team labelled the Unbeatables, and um, yep. who had also come back from a record margin to win the week before against North Melbourne. So mm. to follow that up and beat them, um, as uh, as Bruce McAvaney said at the end of the game, it's the greatest win in the history of the club. And uh, certainly at that point in time, I think it probably was. Yeah, um, just on the grand finals, I suppose the SNFL ones. Um, I loved 94, but I suppose if you're talking about political context, it's got to be 96 and 90, realistically. 96, because we were just on the verge of entering the AFL, and it's all like, yeah, we're done here. We've got the premiership. We're out of here. Yeah. But the idea behind that sentiment came from 1990 when Bruce Webber had his um, post-McGarry medal count, like, we came here, we got the silverware, and now we're going home or something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, you know, beating, beating the uh, Glenelg in 1990 uh, on the eve of the Crows, that was very satisfying politically. So those are my political sure. ones. Yeah. Uh, last question, Hammer number eight has asked, uh, if Loby is brought back in, will this negatively impact our structure around the ruck contest? Yes. Yep. I think it will. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, Ryan Pillar has said uh, on the Spreaker chat uh, on Victorian Radio today, Ken has said that he expects Charlie not to play. Okay. It'll be interesting to see if we bring in Butch or if we do bring in Loby um, as support. I'm not too sure. <laughs> um. Look, we're going to play. I think we're going to play Loby again at some point this year. I'm just not sure when. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I'd almost like Loby to come in as the support ruck and play him as the second ruck. I made a call earlier this year, which I'm still happy to go with, which is I don't really need to see Matthew Loby play again for us for Port Adelaide. Mm. 
personally. I I don't I don't think he adds enough, and I think that what we've got going right now it's maybe not sustainable, but it's sustainable enough. And if you add Ryder to that, who is also a ruckman that can play another position, yeah. and then you've got Trengove as your alternate next year, um, that's a much better ruck unit than anything involving Lobby. Oh, for sure. No, I'm happy to go with that as well, to be honest. Mm. Now, on to our review. Um, it was mm. round 17, and it was definitely a successful one for Port Adelaide with, uh, with the power leading from start to finish against North Melbourne, winning by 28 points, 16 goals 9 to 10 goals 17. Uh, Justin Westhoff and Jay Schultz kicked three goals each, whilst Aaron Young, Robbie Gray and Chad Wingard slotted two each for the winners. Um, what were your thoughts on the, uh, on the first half, Portia? Um, what is happening? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> that, that, was, that was really it. I just didn't entirely understand what was happening. Um, it, it made me feel like North Melbourne were playing like everyone sort of predicted them to do at the start of the year, finally caught up with them. Because mm. everyone, looked, everyone looked at that North Melbourne side, like, almost, almost everyone, not everyone. But um, a lot of people looked at the North Melbourne side at round one and saying, oh, it's so old. So old, they're going to fall over at some point. And then they didn't for a long time, and now they have. And I just didn't believe it would hold for us for so many reasons. Um, But it has. And I don't know, maybe at a different ground, the result might have been different. We did talk earlier about how Eddie had, uh, the speed of Eddie had may have negated Goldstein. It may have negated a lot of their players who are more tough extractor types. Um, But yeah, that first half, I was just pretty thrilled with how it went. And I don't understand it, but it was good. (laughs) <laughs> I have to say, following the game um, on the forum whilst watching the game, that was just about the most enjoyable match day thread <laughs> I've ever um, been reading. To be honest, just about everyone was, "What the hell is going on here? Yeah. This is just uh, this is too good to be true." Like all, as I said to start the uh, the podcast, you know, all the sort of dodgy decisions, all the all the dodgy bounces, which has bounced back up into our arms again. You know, all these things that happen to every other team every other week. Yep, it finally yep. happened to us, and we made the most of it. And to keep North Melbourne goalless in the first quarter <sighs> was just phenomenal. We just absolutely tore them to shreds in that first half. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, Trengove was a huge part of that. I thought yep. Travis Boak played an absolute ripper game. Yeah. Bobby Gray was really good as well. Um, Ollie Wines had a magnificent mm. start to the match, as did Sam Gray as well. Um, you know, we were switched on, we were fast, we were aggressive, we were attacking, um, we were able to find space on the wings, we were able to find space inside 50, which was ridiculous, um, and a large part of that was with the, the, the speed of movement with the ball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you summarised it pretty much exactly, I've got nothing else to add to that, it was just a really astonishing first half, and that first quarter where they didn't kick a goal was just how... How is that happening? You know, um, I just don't. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I've got nothing to add. <laughs> the, the amount of room. I was really surprised by the amount of room that we had inside fifty. And you know, yes. Chad Wingard absolutely tore Scott Thompson a new one in that first yeah. quarter. And same with Justin Westhoff. I think he had something like thirteen touches and two goals at quarter time. And the amount of space that they were able to get um, just should not have happened from North Melbourne's point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, North Melbourne's weakness, I feel, personally, is their defence. I mean, their midfield's performing. Obviously, every defence looks better, but their midfield weren't performing and they were exposed. It was quite enjoyable to see. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, just how good was Travis Spoke on the day, in your opinion? Um, look, he was really good because he's been struggling so much to have a real impact in games. I feel like he's had the possession accounts up there and he's been part of chains and all that sort of thing, but he's lacked those periods of individual brilliance that he had a couple of years ago. Um, and I feel like this was probably finally a return to that style, to that, to that captainly impact on games. So it was really, really heartening to see that and I hope he can keep that up. I don't know how much has to do with the fact that the rest of our midfield played well as well, whether that made the um, job for him a bit easier than when he's sort of our number one midfielder and everyone else is a little bit, eh. Yeah, I um, yeah, don't know. But it was really good to see that return to form. Yeah. I think his last seven weeks, take out the Frio game where he had a really poor first half, but yeah, um, six of the last seven weeks, he's been absolutely fantastic um, and been yeah. one of our best players and, and has started to show that consistency that he's had in previous seasons as well, which I think is really important. And uh, he's certainly been uh, winning a lot of the ball in the middle and, and having an impact on the scoreboard. Um, you know, his skills have been better. His ability yep. to get a bit free and have a bit of a run with the ball has been better as well. Yeah, I, I think that's probably more what I'm talking about there. Because like you said, I mean, he's been performing, but he's been performing in a way that has made other people look better. But this time he actually got a chance to look yeah. good as good himself. I think, I think it's probably more the difference there. The first sort of seven or eight weeks, he was still getting the numbers. He was still yeah. getting sort of mid to high 20s, but uh, they're all under duress. You know, he mm, seemed to have mm. no time with the ball at all. Had to give like a really quick shonky kick or a quick yep. handball to no one. But the last five or six weeks, he's been able to break free. So I'm not sure if he was under a little bit of a cloud or, you know, there was lots of rumours going around to start the season that, um, you know, he was, he, was under, he was a bit depressed or something like that as well. So... He seems to have broken free from whatever was uh, ailing him at the time, and you know it's great to have our captain back. To be honest, absolutely agree, and hopefully he'll be able to keep that up. Yeah, uh, the defence. I want to talk about them for uh, a little Ooh, yeah. bit because um, that, that sort of at the same time they were really really impressive, but also had a bit of a hard time. I thought as well, and yeah, um, you know, Cleary got probably beaten by Ben Brown on the day in terms oh, yeah. of. Brown took 10 marks, kicked three goals. But I thought Cleary had a few moments, especially in the first half, where um, he showed a lot of potential. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much in Logan Austin camp. I'm a lot less so in the Tom Cleary camp. Um, I think he's, again, one of those players that if he was like the third tall backman, he would probably be exceptional. But in that accountable role... Well, I probably don't rate him as highly as some others do, but look, his actual play when he's got the ball is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I agree that, I mean, Ben Brown clearly won that one. Yeah. I think it probably wasn't a matchup that favoured Cleary at any point. Um, I don't think he had the physical attributes and the, the, I suppose, the style of play to really go with him all that well, and I think that just became kind of evident. Um, before the game, I remember thinking probably I would put maybe Austin on him and then put Cleary on Petri. Yeah. Um, I think they were probably would. I might. I, I still feel that might have been a better pair of matchups. But you know, if you're going to let one of those players go free, I'd probably be more inclined to let it be Ben Brown because Drew Petrie's a leader, and the whole team gets a rise when he does well. Yeah, for sure. I thought uh, Logan Austin had a really uh, impressive game again. Um, you know, he was on Petrie, who's probably not had the best year, um, mm. sort of slowing down in his career a bit. Only kicked 19 goals for the season, but. Yeah, you know, to keep him to five marks and, and no goals, I thought was a great effort for a, a six-game player. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I just said, I mean, Petri's a leader in that side, and the games when he does get out of the box, I mean, they're 
the team gets so much out of that because he is such a team player in how he plays. Like every other forward feeds off him when he's playing well. Mm. Uh, and like we were just saying before, Ben Brown is a, a basic player. Um, and when he marks and kicks and goals, it's what he's doing. But I don't think he adds a lot of lot to other players' performance in the forward line, whereas I think Drew Petrie definitely does when he's playing well. So it was a really important matchup, and good on Logan for doing it. Yeah. And then there's Paul Stewart, who... Uh, yeah. A few people probably scoffed at him coming back into the side this week. I'm not sure why. Um, mm. But he was absolutely fantastic on Jared Waite. And Jared Waite's one of those annoying players that seems to play well against us every time we play him. Um, but he kept him uh, completely under wraps. Um, again, just the three marks, uh, no goals. He's really, really quick off the mark, Jared Waite. And, uh, um, I thought Paul Stewart was, uh, was definitely high in our best players. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess... I mean, I was not horribly against it, but I would have thought, as a rule, I mean, I would have preferred um, a defender that has a strong aerial defence against someone lightweight because he is an extremely good mark when he's on song. Yeah. Um, but I think just that intense accountability that Paul Stewart has put on, um, he, he does enough. And Jared Waite, I guess, coming back into the side, maybe not at peak fitness. And, you know, good on good on Stewart. He's, he's playing for his career every game at this point, which is great. It would be nice to have seen him doing that for the last 10 years. But he's he's doing look, he's, he's doing a pretty good job right now, I've got to say. He's, he's doing yeah. all right. And it was a really good performance on a, a player that, um, he can be dangerous, but he hasn't kicked more than two goals since 2007 against us. So as far as on the scoreboard, probably it would have been unlikely that he would have done much more than that anyway. But yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly good to get that win. As you said, he's playing for his career, Paul Stewart, and um, he's, as I said earlier, he's almost just about got himself another year on the uh, on the list, which is uh, which is something I never thought would have happened at the start of the season. I, I never yeah. pictured him playing ten plus games this year. And I never thought I'd say he probably deserves another season. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of the... I mean, he could get another season. He could be a Deliston rookie player as well. Yeah. Um, that's that's He would be very good coming off the rookie list next year if we get injuries to our halfbacks. That would be a really great role for us um, as a transition, I suppose, to post-career potentially as well. Um, but if he stayed on the list and we traded out some of the halfback flankers that are also on the list, then I'd probably be okay with it. But if we keep him on the list and we keep all the others, then I'll probably be a bit shitty about it. Yeah. So he's got there's a spot on the list for him if we trade out some halfback flankers. Sure. Sure thing. Mm. Um, Aaron Young, how did you see his performance? Because I thought, once again, he was uh, high in our best players. And if you were to have a player... Uh, or if you were to have a rating of sort of impact per disposal, I think he would have been right up there. Yeah, look, I mean, well, we did express concern earlier this season about how Aaron Young would do with less space um, and more accountability around him, and I think he's lifted really well. Um, mm. There wasn't heaps of space in that forward line. You know, the forward line, now that it's getting back to its full strength, it, it, every player is a, is a potential threat for the opposition. Um and, you know, I think Aaron Young, as you said, as far as his impact, just when he, wherever he was on the ground, um, absolutely first class. He's doing really well. He's doing really well. He's been really consistent this year. Um, yeah. I mean, probably, I don't know, get most improved player, potentially, at the um, Port Adelaide Best and Ferris this year. He might, he'd have to be pretty close. He would... Well, I think he's an absolute Monty, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. To go from last year where he was the sub most weeks, only played 11 games, kicked two goals for the year... Uh, he's kicked 30 goals this year. Mm. 30 mm. goals. Phenomenal. He's, he's going at two goals a game, which uh, I never, ever would have thought it would have happened. I think he had something like nine score involvements on the weekend. And 
once again, his defensive pressure. Um, he seems to thrive on it, yeah. um, which we knew from his days um, playing through the midfield, um, sort of through 2013 and 14. But um, ever since he's moved forward, and you know, he's almost thrived um, once he has got uh, limited space, where he is able to sort of lay those tackles and uh, and win back the ball and dish off a, a creative sort of handball sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like a crowded forward line is not a bad thing if you work both ways. Um, that that might have been. Why in the past when we had a, a crowded forward line, you know, 10 years ago, we'd be like, oh, it's too crowded. Um, it's probably because we weren't doing enough the other way as far as accountability. But when you are accountable, then that's just more opportunities and less space for defenders to work the ball out. So it's been really good. Yeah. Um, just just while we're talking about Port Adelaide best and fairest, I mean, you'd have to say Aaron Young most improved. You'd have to say probably Darcy Byrne-Jones best first-year player. Um, do you want to have a crack at guessing, I don't know, the Wanganeen medal and the best and fairest? Well, the Wanganeen medal's, what, best under 21, is it? Yeah, 23, I think. Best under 23. Oh, it might be 21. Oh. I'm not sure. I think if it's best under 21, I think it's probably going to go... Uh, it'll probably go to Darcy Byrne-Jones, I think, mm, mm. to be honest. I think he's he's had that consistency. Um, he's barely not been beaten at all at this point yeah. in, the, in the season, which uh, for a first-year player, well, I guess he's a third-year player in terms of his list, but first-year playing AFL footy yeah, yeah. Um, is, a, is a great effort for him uh, to be able to do that. Um, Youngie most improved for sure. Uh, best and fairest, um, mm. with the votes that I do on the forum after the game, my yeah. top five at the moment looks uh, number one, Jasper Pittard. Yeah. Not by much, though. He's no. uh, he's sort of come back to the pack a little bit. Number two, Ollie Wines. Okay. Number three, Aaron Young. Yep. Number four, Travis Boak. Yep. Number five, Darcy Byrne-Jones. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's pretty big. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like you say, Pittard has sort of tailed off a little bit in the last few weeks, the last mm. month or so. Um, I can't believe Byrne-Jones is that high. You think he could do it? I don't think he'll win the best and fairest. He might. Well, because I, mean, I think he's could... probably going to. He might end up being one of those players that we rate very highly on the forum, but will end up finishing like nineteenth in the best and fairest or something like that. But I, I kind of feel. Then again, the I think Kenny also really, really likes him. So, you know, for a player, as, as I said, he's he's barely been beaten. He's doing his job defensively. He's been yeah. fantastic. He provides great rebound, really good skills, goes in hard. You know, there's not many that have been as consistent as he has this year. Well, I mean, if you look at how... Because you've got to remember that the Coaches Award... Like, it's, it's a Coaches Award. Um, and this year, the coaches have been uniform in demanding work rate and that you do your job and not just play well. We've seen criticisms post-game, even of Aaron Young, saying, look, he's doing some things right. There's more that we need him to do. Um, I'd never heard anything other than he's excellent about Darcy Byrne-Jones. So it might be one of those things where he's a defender, he's playing his role exactly as he should be and his work rate is high. He could actually be right up there. Yeah. Um, particularly out of those players. I mean, Oli Wines, yeah, he could be there. But he might, I mean, he's not been super consistent in terms of his actual impact on games and that might go against him. Yeah. Um, Aaron Young, he could be a chance, but I, I, be a sneaky chance of maybe Byrne-Jones. But... Mm. Um, look, there's comment from Powerade 08 on Spreaker chat saying Gray has the best and fairest wrapped up, but he missed a bit of football, so that can go against him. Oh, does he have the best and fairest wrapped up? I'm not sure he does, to be honest. No. His first three weeks were absolutely phenomenal, and then he missed, mm. what, four games? 
Mm-hmm. It's going to be tricky for him to win a best and fairest whilst missing four games. Plus, yeah. he's had some pretty ordinary games in that uh, in that group as well. I think his yeah. best has been probably better than anybody else this year. Like his yep. his ceiling has been better, um, but he hasn't had that consistency when he's played. Yeah, and look, I mean, I guess Gray is one particularly this end of the season will dictate his performance because there's. You know, like you said, he's already missed four games, and at this stage of the year, that's a larger representation of his season than if he plays the rest of the year and he plays brilliantly. So, yeah. I guess we see how that goes. I've got him sixth at the moment, so he's okay. certainly yeah, that's up there. Right. Trengo's seventh. Yeah. Um, again, he might be a sneaky chance. He might. Again, he's had he's had some outstanding games, but he's also mm. had games where he's been beaten in the ruck, like against Cruiser, like a, against Nick Nat, like against yeah. the Dogs. His form as a defender before that was, uh, bit, was yeah. a little bit up and down as well. So yeah. I, I think he'll be uh, he'll be up there for top 10, probably top five, but um, mm. probably not for the win. I think this is going to be the most exciting, best and fairest year in ages. I think so. I think yeah. so. I, I don't think there's, you know, probably four weeks ago I would have said Pittard was the absolute clear-cut winner. Mm. You mm. know, pay everyone out now. Um, but not anymore. I think he's, yeah. he's fallen back a little bit, so yeah, could be one of about six or seven players. Could be. Oh well, that'd be interesting. Be good to go. Good to see. Um, who else is there to talk about from the weekend? Um, I guess the, the two players that came in, Sammy Gray and Brendan Archie. Um, how yeah. did you see them? Uh, Brendan Archie, I I just still don't know about. Um, I don't know. And Sam, Sam Gray, he's all right. I'm okay with him staying in, but Archie, I'm still need to be. Archie, I still haven't seen what we saw in him late last year, um, yeah. and that makes me concerned. Yeah, I thought that was his best game this year. Yeah, or oh, this year, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 19 touches and a goal. That's a pretty good effort. Had four clearances. So as that secondary clearance winning midfielder coming into the midfield, I thought he did a, a pretty good job, especially against. A north midfield, which uh, which is a bit bigger in size, does have a lot of very, very good clearance winning mids. So for him to come in and do that good a job, I thought was really good. Um, once again, I guess the worry for me is that he's pulling his... As you mentioned earlier, he's a player that's pulling his finger out a bit too late. You know, yeah. He's had a, a number of chances this year, hasn't been able to get the job done. Is it a bit too late for Brendan? Uh, look, it could be. Um it wouldn't be too surprising for Gold Coast to express interest in him just so they can shore up his brother as much as anything else. Um, and if we you know, received an okay pick offer, which, let's face it, these northern state clubs have more opportunities to give that sort of thing, um, he could well be on his way to another club next year. Um, yeah. I think that if, he, look, if, if, if we were going to trade him, this year might be the best year to do it. Because if he has another year like this next year, then his trade value would be low. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I haven't seen. I haven't seen enough to make me think he's going to be the player he was late last year at a consistent level at AFL level. Yeah, no, it's mm. true. It's um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Arch. I think we still need, we need a player like him to come on and become a consistent performer. If we're going to be any shot for finals footy, we need that sort of depth in the midfield, and at the moment we don't have it. Uh, in terms of Sam Gray, I thought uh, I thought his was uh, a really good first half. I thought he was one of our best yeah. players at halftime, and then he just disappeared, didn't get a yeah. kick after that. Yeah. 
his first half was certainly uh, key in sort of helping set up the win. Look, absolutely. Um, Sam Gray, I'm okay with him being in our side, and I think he does fulfil... Like, if you're looking for those secondary midfielders, like, he he started when he was playing earlier in this year, he was not doing well, but since he had dropped for a couple of weeks and came back in, I mean, he's not been fantastic, um, but he has played at a level that you sort of think there's a role for him going forward, um, and his his trade value, let's face it, is non-existent, so why would we not keep him on from a list management point of view? Mm. Yeah. and look, he's doing enough. He's doing enough. But talking about those two players, if we're talking about potentially shifting our focus to attack and bringing in Pollock and White next week, potentially um, they could be two that are in trouble. But maybe not after. Not yeah. maybe not. They might not be in line ahead of Need and, and Mitchell. Um, Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah. Well, I thought Mitchell played pretty well. He he had yeah. a tagging job on Daniel Wells and. He certainly kept him out of the game for a, oh, for a yeah. good sort of two and a half quarters. I think Wells had a good sort of end to the game, but he was absolutely non-existent at half time. Yeah, look, um, I guess that could be a representation of where North Melbourne are at as well in some respects. Um, and this is going back to a previous comment, maybe contradicting what I said, um, but maybe they rushed back Wells and wait a bit early. Um, yeah. But. Because I mean, we've seen both of those players play really well against us. Even Del Santo, I, he did all right. He was pretty good. He's definitely played better against us. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's just part of it, not wanting to downplay the fact that he did a good job on him. Whether part of it was just they're a bit underdone and North Melbourne are getting a bit desperate to get a win. Mm. Quite mm. possible. Brent Harvey, another 29 touches and two goals oh, against Port Adelaide. Bloody Will Brent they Harvey. wheel him out for the next 15 years just to play against Port Adelaide? Honestly, when you look at players around the league that you want to get as a coach at your club, he's the top of my list. Um, he knows consistently how to tear us apart no matter how we play. Um, if we could add him to our coaching panel when he eventually retires, I think that we would unlock the secret of how to beat Port Adelaide and maybe do something about it. Um, yeah. He's got a, like, If you're looking for a person that's a player right now that has huge football IP... Um, he'd be right at the top of that list. Oh, for sure. He's kicked more goals against Port Adelaide than any other team, 47 yeah. in his 29 games. Yeah. Averages 21 touches against Port, 15 Brownlow votes. They could, they could wheel him out in 15 years' time when he's 62 years old, and he would still get 25-2. and two. Well, I mean, if we talk about like records, and admittedly this is always more likely to happen with the player that plays the most games at AFL level, but I mean, I don't think anyone will ever beat... Um, him for most career wins against Port Adelaide. I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> yeah, true. That's that's pretty t- pretty true. Mm. He's at nineteen, so that's uh, that's certainly out there. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Credit to uh, to Brent Harvey. I mean, you look at some of the older guys that have uh, you know that that have played late into their sort of thirties uh, and uh, and early forties, and you know yeah. Michael Tuck was a decent player right to the end. Dustin Fletcher pretty much stood in a back pocket doing nothing for the last 10 years of his career. Yeah. Brent Harvey is still an elite footballer. Absolutely. Like, like he is still top 30, top 40 player in the league at, you know, how old is he? 38. That's ludicrous. He's phenomenal the only player, player that sort of even compares is, uh, is probably Robert Harvey. And even he sort of slowed down towards the end of the Yeah, well, but... absolutely. I mean, if you're comparing Robert and Brent, um, Brent's definitely the better Harvey throughout his career, in my view. Mm. 
you know, Brownlow medals aside, I don't really because the Brownlow. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it. The Brownlow medals are at Harvey won. I think that he was a good player, but I don't think he was the best player. Um. Anyway, that that's me. <laughs> but I mean, Brent probably, Harvey. Well, he he certainly wasn't the best player in one year because he was the second player that. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't get the most votes, but. Yeah. Uh, certainly the year after that in 98, I thought he was the best player in the league. and mm. um, It'll be interesting to see just how long uh, Brent Harvey actually plays for. Does he continue on? Or is he just playing to break the record and he's going to retire at the end of the year? But for a player that's still playing as good as he is and still getting the amount of ball that he is, I mean, why wouldn't you keep going? I kind of feel like if the Roos make the finals, he might retire. Mm. Um, like if he can go out, if he can get a finals win... So if they can win the first week of finals and then whatever happens after that, I think he might say, yeah, that was pretty good. I'm okay with that. That's fair. That's Mm. fair. All right, let's talk about the SANFL. Um, Another chase, the Maggies. They've continued their run of form. Uh, They've won their third game on the trot, this time against Woodville West Trons by 41 points. 12 goals, 10 to 6 goals, 5. Uh, Luke Reynolds continues to impress with four goals. Uh, Johnny Butcher kicked another three and Jared Pollack kicked uh, two for the winners. That's against the top of the ladder side as well. So that was against top of the ladder. Yeah. Look, there was some really good ins to the side this week um, from injury, pretty much. Um, certainly for a NFL level, um, and I think that probably would have helped a lot. Um, but we still have to do it, and so that's a really fantastic result. Um, and it's good to see Pollock really come out and pull his finger out as well, because I, yeah. I think he might be now realizing he's in a precarious position. Um, Oh, for sure. But it's good. I don't think it's any surprise that uh, the Maggies are starting to deliver once we've uh, started to get most of our players back. So yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. As, as you mentioned, Jared Pollock, he had twenty-four touches, six tackles, which is great. Five clearances, really good. Seven inside fifties and two goals. So that's uh, that's a performance that, uh, on face value, should get him back into the AFL lineup. You would think. You would have to expect that that would put him right up there in contention. Um, now, uh, do you think Butcher's back? Do you think Butcher's back this week with Charlie Dixon looking iffy to play? Do you think he comes in? Or do you think we revert to what we did earlier this year and just have one key forward again? Look, I, I would like to see Butcher back in. I think it makes sense to have him back in the side. He's been in really good form. It's not like he's uh, he's doing like Simon Phillips and would just get a, a, a game... Um, just because. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's been in great form the last sort of four or five weeks. Uh, he kicked three goals, took six marks. Bring him in. I want to see the Butch again. It's exciting, especially at home. Bring him in. He's got to play. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, Make it happen. I guess if I'm going to be cynical, which let's face it, I usually am, um, if you bring Butch in and he has a couple of good games in this dead rubber of a season that we've, I feel like we're, we're in right now, then he might even be tradable at the end of the year. Who knows? So, yeah, yeah bring him in. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? Look, again, <laughs> I, I think, like Paul Stewart, I think he probably deserves another year on the list, I think. Because if, if Schultz really? is going to retire, which is a big chance of happening, um, it leaves our key forward stocks paper thin. Um, yeah, but they have been. And if there's years. a player that's delivering in the SANFL that provides good depth, why not give him another twelve months? Because <sighs> yeah. remembering, remembering, we're probably going to be without Dougal Howard for the majority of next year as well. Yeah. Uh, you see, but then, okay. Well, let me put it this way: 
if Schultz retires and we're going to next season with Butcher, Dixon and Dougal Howard injured, are we actually going to recruit another key forward as a decent pick or are we just going to keep pissing around? I would hope we would pick a key forward with at least one draft pick. And hopefully an early one, um, or one relevant to the quality of the draft, um, because it's not a great tools draft, unfortunately, either. No, but Todd Marshall should be there with our first pick, you would think. Okay. And there's, uh, there's battle as well. And I mean, it's it, it's not a good tolls draft, but there are a couple of decent-looking tolls that we can yeah. get. So, They're all pretty um, raw, though. Um, yeah, oh, look, certainly. Um, if you're going to the draft, you're not expecting to get a key forward that's going to be able to slot in straight oh, away. No, but like they're raw, the finals, raw. But, um, they're all going to have. Um, multi- I reckon. I don't reckon anyone will play next year. Oh, Battlewood. I think Battle's oh, maybe. Battle's super. He's he's the fittest. Just about the fittest player in the whole draft this year. Yeah, he's he's Plus, got the fitness. He's, a, right he's got like a good out. size. He's in terms of his body, he could play round one next year. Yeah. Todd Marshall would take a couple of years, but um, yeah. but Battle would certainly be up there. Um. Good coach. Again, Dylan. I mean, do we trade to get another key forward? I mean, that's another. I no, guess we've no, got Ryder no, as well. No, we've got no. Ryder coming back in as well, so that's uh, that's certainly helpful. But no more um, trading for players that are twenty five. No, we've got to stop. <laughs> we've got to stop with that because we're just grinding ourselves into the ground the way we're doing that. Look, I'm I'm happy to go to the draft and pick a key forward yeah. with our first pick if uh, yep. if Marshall or, or Battle are there, which they both yeah. should be. Um, I'd be happy to do that. Um, and I would be happy to keep Butcher for another 12 months because I think we need depth in that area. I agree. Um, and uh, and look, we don't have any other options at the moment. So I want to see him play this week. I hope he does really, really well. Um, and yeah, all for uh, Team Butch. A good comment from Dylan on Spreaker Chat, which is um, here forever. So if someone wants to make a JPEG with um, John Butcher in that style of uh, Triggy, I'd like to see that. Uh, and more I'd be here coming. until he's 35, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, and then he'll probably take on the running job or something like that. Um, Port Adelaide's negligence towards key forwards has ironically landed Butcher a spot on the list perpetually, which is <laughs> kind of where we're at, really. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, Jimmy Tumpus was uh, was uh, consistent yeah. again. He had 24 touches and nine marks. He's uh, he's playing some really decent footy at the moment. Riley Bonner had his best game at SA NFL level. He had 24 touches and seven marks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we lose this week in the AFL and if we sort of say goodbye to our finals chances, whether we do see someone like Riley Bonner come in for a couple of games to end the season. Who do you drop, though? Because, um, I mean, this is, the, this is the most frustrating part for me right now is that this week we potentially, like, I'm not saying this is exactly what's happening, but potentially we have our number one ruck in theory. We've got two important forward-moving players that are fit and in form. We're about to field next week potentially one of our better sides this year, mm. uh, and it could keep getting better, and that we're so close to finals. I don't know that there's room for Bonner to come in and have a crack unless we get massive injuries, because we've got Cracker coming back in as well. Um, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think you played Bonner ahead of Cracker. Um, <laughs> you might just to give him a taste, though. Ah, oh, but would you when the season is still vaguely alive? Well, as I said, if it's not, if we lose yeah. this week, finals, yeah. are, finals are shot. Yeah. Because sure. yeah. we're not beating Sydney, probably won't beat the Crows if we're losing to GWS. So yeah. True. if true. that's the case, then I would give him a couple of games to give him a taste of uh, 
of the pace and, and what he has to get up to next year to be able to get a, a consistent crack at it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, Ryan Pillars said, did the Hoon not get a mention? So I guess you ought to mention him. Well, we haven't got up. We haven't got there yet. Okay. We haven't got there yet. Well, Cahoon, tell us about Cahoon. Cahoon played well. Um, yeah? Yep. Uh, Matty Loby. Now, uh, no. <laughs> look, Coon is probably the most consistent player uh, on our list who's getting uh, games in the SANFL at the moment because he's getting 30-plus touches every week, um, but his impact per disposal would be the lowest of anybody on an AFL list. Yeah, yep. Because he's just playing as that loose back. Um, you know, 31 touches, 14 marks is uh, yeah. is ludicrous. Two tackles, one clearance sort of says it all. Uh, five Arden. inside 50s, two rebound 50s. I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit hard done by. I really, again, no. I like Cahoon. I don't see a spot for him at AFL level. No. But I think he would most likely be getting a game at probably three or four other clubs right now. He might be, but if he was, I reckon those clubs would still be trying to upgrade him. A grade on him. Um He's kind of a Kate Simpson if he was playing. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you know, Kate okay. Simpson's probably got a bit of an edge even. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. But good on him for playing well at SNFL level. But I'd... this year, SA has a fairly good side, and there's a lot of players in his height range and that can play, I suppose, similar roles. That we might even piss him off and then draft one of those guys at a late pick because I reckon they'll probably still be available at a late pick. And we've got Will Snelling potentially even that can come off the rookie list, and he, he's a genuine midfielder. Yeah. Um, so. We'll see. Well, Speaking of snelling, yeah, he had his first game back from injury, and he had 19 touches, eight tackles. And he was really, really good on the weekend. Mm. Matty White was uh, was great. He was fantastic, and oh. I would expect he will play this week. He had 18 touches, five marks, nine clearances, which uh, you probably don't usually sort of equate to Matty White's game, but um, yeah, he was very, very good. I feel at times like I'm the champion of the Matty White fan club. Um, because any chance I get to talk about him, I want to talk about him because he's so important to our side. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. It's We've really, really him good. greatly this year. Oh, so much, so much. And we don't even realise it. Um, if he comes back in this week, then I'm... If Matthew, if Matt White comes in this week, I feel much, 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 much more confident that we could potentially make the eight. Yeah. But he has to come in this week. Yeah. And he has to play well against GWS. I'm all for it. I think he's a he's a lock. Lock him in. Hope so. Mm. White Very and the good. butch. White and the butch. Make it happen. It certainly could. All right. Well, let's okay. uh, call it quits for this evening. I think uh, it's been a long yeah. way. Again. Um, uh, thank you sorry. for everyone that uh, that tuned in and listened and uh, and interacted on the uh, speaker chat. We always yeah, enjoy that's that. always fun. Make sure you check out all the other uh, podcasts on the Port Fan Radio Network. And uh, certainly, if you like what you hear, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. If you've got iTunes, that would be wonderful because that really helps, um, as does giving us a five-star review. So if you like what you hear, uh, subscribe, give us a review. really does help out the show. Yeah, and I've got to say, I listened to the Port Adelaide Game Day um, podcast this weekend. It was really bang on. It was a really good listen. Yeah. So I definitely recommend that one. Always is. Only quality on the Port Fan Radio Network, Porsche. Yeah, but we have Rick sometimes too. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Poor Rick. <laughs> Poor Rick. 
Uh, uh, I've got to mention Rick's terrible mistext on or mis mispost during the week where he's talking about how he's happy that Trengo's in Rick. <laughs> yeah. I knew they were close, but uh, yeah, wasn't wasn't aware of that. So, uh, predictive text. Fun. That's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Knows what you're thinking. Classic Rick, right there. Uh, all right, we will be back on Thursday night to uh, discuss the GWS game. Lovely. All right. Awesome. Until then, count the pair. Go the Port Adelaide's. Butcher. What? Whitey. Whitey. <laughs> Carlisle sends it long. Modlop just on and takes the mark. He can give Port Adelaide the lead. Hamstring hurt. Plays on. Sends it high. Goal square. Long. McVeigh gets back. Port Adelaide in front. The magic man of all people. He had to.